A man playing God makes a monster shaped like a man. It's alive. It's alive. It's Frankenstein. Mafia, wake up, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. I was wondering how into it you were going to get. <laughs> uh, uh, man, I don't know if I committed to it enough. That's the problem. That's the problem, Alex. Mm. Welcome back, though, to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves. This week, of course, as we try to stay alive, mm, mm. we're discussing Frankenstein. With me today, I've got the human Tesla coil himself, Alex. <laughs> yeah, joined by the floating body in the water, Eric. <laughs> oh man good alex i'm glad i'm a floating body in the water to you uh hey you hey, keep but- us afloat <laughs> <laughs> someone needs to someone needs to oh that's good uh alex one conversation that i've seen happening this week on film twitter is this conversation about 10 films that others need to see to get to know you oh. which i think is kind of a weird sort of question right uh yes. we don't have time for 10 films here as, as we start our episode but i'm curious just a little chat here before we get into our frankenstein review what are a couple films that you think would help others get to know you and why and how would you even go about choosing those films oh that's tough right it's tough because <laughs> the question is is like do you just pick the movies that you feel like speak to you the most? Like they kind of show your taste or do you want mm. do the ones that like portray your personality? Right. Like obviously like if you're doing personality, you would probably pick the Joker movie. Um, whereas- <laughs> well, I was just thinking you would pick Ace Ventura. <laughs> I don't know why that popped in my head. I like but it. it did. Uh, I, and I'm not even opposed to it. Maybe even Dumb and Dumber. Um <laughs> That's a good one. So I guess that's the question, right? Is do you pick movies based on personality or do you pick it based on what you like? Mm. You tell me and I'll I'll make a couple choice. I'll give you like four choices based on. Yeah, four four is a good number. Um, You know, I think you maybe you take a maybe you kind of take a nuanced approach and, and you say like some of these films might represent a sense of my personality, right? Like Dumb and Dumber. Mm. And some of these films might just be kind of what I strive to, right? Like there's something about this that inspires me and makes me want to be a better human. Mm. That's that's how I view it, right? So like they're not all serious films. I try, I'm also thinking like films that shaped me kind of growing up is another way that I look at it is these are films that maybe I watched a lot as a kid or in high school or in college even. Um so I'm curious hmm. if, if that goes into your choosing at all. Here, I'll, I'll do some like for personality, maybe a little bit, and yeah. like general sense of humor, maybe. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and stick with Dumb and Dumber. All right. <laughs> it's pretty right. on the nose humor. It's actually subtly smart in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to go with. Uh, uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It's like a character that daydreams, mm. and that one, that one's kind of like an inspirational movie nice. um, about you know just going out and doing something. And then 
I want to go with, you know, this is one that's like for like a really good movie that I watched uh, a lot at the end of high school and through college. And Eric, you'll probably laugh when you hear this. Hot Rod. (laughs) Hot Rod's a great, no, Hot Rod's a great choice. (laughs) Hot Rod's a great choice. I mean, that was our humor. That was our humor in college was Hot Rod. (laughs) It was. So, yeah, one that for me kind of, I think is a a predecessor to Hot Rod. It paved the way for Hot Rod is Napoleon Dynamite. Were you ever a Napoleon Dynamite fan? Yeah, so I really gravitated towards Napoleon Dynamite after I saw it the first time. I didn't really care for it the first time. I thought it was overrated. And then upon more viewings, much like myself, the more you talk to me, the more you like me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think Napoleon Dynamite does that to you, right? It's like, what did I just watch? And then it's funnier every time you watch it. That that's a film that definitely had an impact on me. I think it just kind of shaped my sense of humor, uh, along with Hot Rod. Hot Rod's a great choice. Um, I think there's a movie, a movie that I think showed me what movies could be like. I, and I have some issues with this movie now. Upon rewatching it pretty recently, is The Pianist. Oh, wow. uh, with yeah, I never, I never saw that one, but yeah, Adrian you Brody. never saw that? Yeah, yeah. Um, he won Best Actor for The Pianist. That was a movie that kind of showed me what movies were capable of, I think. And there's just something about the ending that has, I think, has stuck with me um, ever since. It's, again, it's not a perfect movie. Looking back on it, I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was, that was a movie that shaped me for sure. Uh I think Rocky, of course, is another oh, yeah. one of those that for me <laughs> uh, is an inspiration movie for me. It's something I aspire to. Other, that thing you do, have you ever seen that movie, Alex? Is that the one with uh, the guy that's dead? Uh, I don't know. We'll that thing you that. do has Tom Hanks in it. Okay, no, it does not have the guy that said <laughs> And it's about a band. Heath uh, Ledger was who I was thinking of. No, not Heath Ledger, no. <laughs> that thing you do, that's 10 <laughs> things I hate about you. Isn't that right? Yes, yes. <laughs> no, that thing you do is about a uh, a band where Tom Hanks is their manager. Mm. Uh, that was actually a really important movie to me because I was a drummer in high school. And the main character was the drummer in that thing you do. And I would watch that movie on repeat, like all the time. Really? <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, that was, that was an influential movie. And I, I watched it a couple years ago uh, just to rewatch it. And it's still, I, it holds up. I like that movie. It's a good one. Hmm. Any, any others that, that stick out to you though? Yeah, Alex? I'll make my fourth one the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Oh man, that is <laughs> up there on my list too. Uh, it's so good. That that movie is probably the movie that I've seen the most in my life. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, in high it's school, a, that one's up there with me. I think. I think yeah, in high school, time. that's the movie I would watch virtually every single night as I fell asleep. I <laughs> think this is going to be hilarious. I think um, the movie I've probably watched most in my lifetime, other than like maybe a Marvel movie, um, is probably <laughs> Waterboy. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> this explains so much about our relationship. I remember Alex, renting too. it and watching it four times in one day. Um, <laughs> four times in one day. Yeah, man, 
Water sucks, yes. Eric. Gatorade is better. <laughs> <laughs> any any recent movies that you would consider for putting in this list? That's tough. You know, I, I was actually sitting and thinking about, you know, a best of like 2021 list. And this year is not great, actually. Like, there's there's some stuff I like, like, you know, my typical Marvel thing. But in terms of recent, now, how recent are we talking? Are we, are we saying uh, this last, year? I would say last, like, decade. Oh, last decade. Besides Hot Rod. Well, I was uh, going to say, Walter Mitty uh, is... Hot Rod is, wasn't last decade. We're, we're older than we think we are, Alex. <laughs> last, de- last decade. Uh, that's, I mean, that's 2011. No, 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 hot, no. Hot, hot Rod. Hot Rod? No, no. Hot Rod was like 2000. Yeah. What, seven? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Eric, that's tough. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Well, what about you? You, you well, must have one. Yeah. I think a good movie. I don't think you ever saw this movie, even though I recommended it to you. No surprise. Uh, I think a movie that would encapsulate a lot, like if we were to send a, a movie to aliens and say, hey, this movie tells you a lot about this certain type of human, which would be someone like me or you, which is basically a basic white guy growing up in America mm-hmm. in the 90s and early 2000s, that movie would be Boyhood. Um, Richard Linklater's Boyhood yeah. uh, from 2014. That That movie does an incredible job of encapsulating that sort of experience. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's a great, great movie as well. The other movie would be uh, a movie that I just found in- incredible. It was in 2016. It's called Sing Street. You ever see Sing Street, Alex? No, I've heard of it though. Yeah, it's a musical. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just quirky. And I just thought it was awesome. And it has a really good, like brother to brother relationship in it. Um, it, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I, I recommend Sing Street. Interesting. Okay. All right. You I might have listed ten films here, Alex. <laughs> yeah, you you may have. You may have. You know what? I would say I'll just go ahead and do it. I'll, I'll, I'll appease some of our listeners. Shin Godzilla. Shin Godzilla. Interesting. Interesting. Why not? It's just your political astuteness. That's right. Uh, that this really shaped. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it was either that or cars. And I didn't know which one to really. Yeah, well, cars they're both very similar. Is that the the sequel, Cars Two or Cars Three, or just the original Cars? Just the original. I never saw the sequels. Oh, okay. Oh, you I know what it. though? For real, Spider- uh-huh. <laughs> not real. I don't know if it's really for real. I don't know why I blanked on this, but Spider Man into the Spider Verse. You know, if you need need me a, a Spider Man movie from this decade. It's really awesome. Yeah. It is a great movie. There you go. Yeah, that, I'm just I'm just listing good movies now. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, now we're just listing good movies. <laughs> let's go on to our show. <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. After the critical and box office success of Dracula, Universal quickly followed up with Frankenstein. Originally, Bella Lugosi wanted a star role and reluctantly agreed to play the monster before director James Well took the movie in a different direction. So my first question here, Alex, is how does Frankenstein build off the success of Dracula? And would a Lugosi lead performance have helped or hindered this film? Ooh. So 
the film builds on the successes of the previous one, but I think it also fails to learn on, well, the failures of the previous film. Uh, that being said, this does continue the tradition of the headline monster being a show stealer. And I do think it was a good thing that we kind of went over to Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does what he transforms what could have easily been a static and boring role that's intent. It, its intent is to be stiff, but the way he does it is so unique and different. And I, I can't picture Lugosi in this role. Like I can't immediately Karloff. Now maybe it's cause it's so legendary. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but you know, he, he, elicits this wide gamut of emotions while barely moving. And although it's not in the film as much as I would really like, he does create some sympathy for the monster at certain points in the film. And this movie certainly would not be the same without his legendary performance as the character. Yeah, no, I'm right with you. I'm glad Boris Karloff ended up with this role because while Lugosi killed it, like we said last week with Dracula, and I'm sure makeup would have completely changed his performance here, Karloff brings something almost ineffable to the performance. There's the pain that's right underneath the surface when he's reaching towards the sky or reaching towards a young girl or reaching towards his maker. Underneath that makeup, which iconically was created by Jack Pierce, and and walking with literally weighed down boots, Karloff does exactly what I wanted to see more of in Dracula last week. He brings that sympathy to the monster character. Well, we have a line or two of sympathy in Dracula. Frankenstein just has that on a whole other level, I believe. But what's brilliant is that we also understand the response to the monster as much as we feel sympathy towards the monster here. At least that's how I felt. Did you feel sympathy? You said you did. Did you feel sympathy for Frankenstein more than you did for Dracula last week? And did you understand the reactions to the monster as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he definitely brings a good bit of sympathy. And I, I feel like I understood everyone's reactions in this film. Uh, they felt even more cohesive than... Actually, way more cohesive than Dracula, just because Dracula's ending is a little... Mm-hmm. But um, everyone's behavior in this film does seem to make some sense. Now, most of it is generated by how the Hunchback <laughs> treats um, Frankenstein, for me. Fritz, you know? yeah. Yeah, Fritz. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's pretty brutal. And I actually was like, when, he, when the monster finally killed... I called the monster Frankenstein, didn't I? Um, it's all good. But, it, <laughs> but when the monster kills Fritz, I was relieved. You know, the way he was treating him and all of this, it was this really interesting kind of... The thing I like about this character is it is this kind of interesting analysis of human nature. You know, when you're pushed and pushed and pushed, like you kind of become what you're treated like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that that's a really interesting thing to see. Now, I do think it loses that message a little bit as the movie goes on. But the 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 scene with the little girl is much more of a mixed bag for me. I think it's, what is her name? Little Maria, I think yeah. is her name. Uh-huh. Um, this is a pretty powerful thing in the book. Um, and this scene feels like it's about to be there. 
It's got a lot of emotion. We got the flowers exchanging hands. You see, you see it again. Karloff really pulling out all the stops in his performance. But then he throws her into the water, and it's weird. Um, I don't feel like it's executed well, and it kind of loses everything that it just earned for me. Hmm. Um, so I thought it was just handled poorly, abruptly, and you know, th- there's a lot of uh, extra gusto that is just lost. So, um, and by the time the final act is here, that missed opportunity, I feel like, in terms of emotion, while he's burning alive, I don't really feel that bad for him. Well, uh, maybe it's because they make it me, feel like he's I had a bit a on a take. rampage. Yeah, um, well, I, I had a different take. So explain that to me a little bit. So why do you think was was because the way that I read that scene is I read it as him being confused and, and not really realizing what he's doing. He's not a, a fully fledged human. Right. Right. And so he believes that throwing the he's not throwing. Yeah, he's throwing her like a flower. Water. Because of, yeah, right, out of malice. Um, right. He's throwing the girl in the water because that's what he, he sees her as a flower or something beautiful, and that's what they've been doing, and yes. he's out of flowers now. Yeah, I so agree. I'm, I'm curious I'm curious what you saw kind of as the misstep there. I still feel sympathy for him because of his reaction, right? Like, his reaction, whenever he sees that she doesn't float back to the surface – he has that confused sort of reaction. He's like, not sure what to do or where to go. And you're like, he, he doesn't know what to do next. So I, I feel sympathy for him, even if I recognize the fact that he's dangerous, um, potentially mm. for those that are around him. Right? Yeah, no, see the, the throwing of her in there. Um, first off, he doesn't throw her very far, <laughs> which kind of broke my suspension of disbelief a little bit. Um, but the, the other part of it really is his reaction is to almost immediately run away. Um, whereas he didn't like accidentally, you know, this would have worked better if he accidentally overpowered her on accident by hugging her and killing her or something like that, where he inadvertently kills her in a way that's like, he didn't process that he had killed her. He just processed that she didn't come back up. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he immediately ran away. Like I didn't feel like he stayed long enough. We didn't get maybe enough. I didn't feel like I got enough emotion out of him in that moment. Um, and then he runs off into the woods and then, you know, he shows up at the wedding and I guess attacks uh, Elizabeth. And then he attacks Frankenstein Um and so it, it feels like he's not quite, he is a misunderstood monster and he's created the way he is because of what Fritz does to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they handle him is pretty poor. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, I feel like he loses that misunderstood nature to him. Um, right about the time that he accidentally kills little Maria actually. And I just think it's handled a little off. Yeah, well, I, I'm with you that you know as the film progresses, like you, you understand why the humans are responding to the way that they do, right? Like, yes, um, this is a monster that is different. They're a group. He is isolated. He is an outsider, um, 
And yet, you know, the more that he is cornered, the more that he does act out, right? Mm -hmm. The more that he is on that rampage, as you said. But uh, we may get get more into that. But I, I want to talk about another aspect of the film that I just thought was well done. And maybe this this plays into this idea. And it's the fable-like tone of this film that starts right at the very beginning. That opening scene, you, it gives us that eerie, otherworldly graveyard mm -hmm. setting that feels heightened and exaggerated. Um, it feels influenced by German expressionist films, absolutely. I mean, there's a skeleton at the graveyard. That's that's a little <laughs> different, right? This isn't quite a realist film. There's, right. there's, you know, it's not meant to be taken in that realist sort of way. But there's also the characters beyond the monster. You get Dr. Frankenstein, who I think is particularly interesting because he's both specific in his desires and yet universal in his motives. We aren't quite sure why he wants to create this monster. And yet we understand the drive to some degree, right? Um, yeah. We don't have a motive. We don't have a motive to his drive though. So by removing that motive, I actually think it makes his drive more universal and relatable to us as the audience. We don't need a long backstory about Frankenstein's troubled past <laughs> that we might get in a modern film. Right. The other thing is the sets and the camera work. I think they also add to that fable-like quality. Um, there's actual movement to the camera here mm -hmm. with cinematography from Arthur Edison, which has some, there's just some amazing long takes that move between, between rooms without cutting. I wasn't sure how those were even done. Like they were awesome. Uh, yeah, they were awesome. I was like, how, how was that even done? I, I don't know. And then there's that shot through the wedding celebration, um, with everybody dancing, uh, and celebrating, which at first, the, the first time, uh, as I was like watching, I was like, that's a little overdone. It just looks a little showy. It's awesome, but it looks a little showy. Like what's the point of this? But I think it comes back around in the fact of, how we see that celebration turn south so quick. Yeah. Like it built it up. And then the next long take we get is, of course, the the father of Maria holding her her lifeless body through that celebration. And so you get that interesting juxtaposition there. And then within these shots, you have the sets. Last week, we talked about some of those great sets. But here, it's both the interior and exterior sets that impress with high ceilings and massive landscapes that seem to make each character feel that much smaller and again heighten that fable like quality were you as impressed as i was with the technical qualities yeah the technical qualities are are showstoppers uh, i was really noticing a lot of the camera movement as well and just how I mean, I'm not going to say ahead of its time because I haven't seen a lot of these movies, but it felt that way, right? It Especially did. when yeah. you compare it to Dracula. This thing mm -hmm. feels like leaps in terms of uh, filmmaking capabilities. It's definitely more cinematic, right? Right. Uh, versus kind of like a play that we have the set camera mm -hmm. in these scenes. This is more cinematic for sure. Exactly. And, and Dracula was based on a stage play. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, even when we go into some of the interiors, uh, especially like the home, which is not mm -hmm. as interesting, right? It's much tighter. Um, and the camera movements even then are more dynamic. I don't feel like we're sitting back too far just watching a play unfold like yeah. we did in Dracula. And so it, it just overall works a lot, bet a lot better in just all of the scenes, really. Um, and, you know, you were talking about motive for... 
the scientist, I'm right there with you. I, I really like that we don't get, like you said, this backdrop of the of the modern. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we could have easily, like, oh, he saw his his uh, mom die at the young yeah. age of five, and now he can't stand anyone around him dying. So now he has to reanimate everyone around uh-huh. him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it could have been so easy to add some nonsense like that. But what's really cool about this is that this is very true to how things were. Um, especially in Europe, like in the, about the 1700s, like, you know, the man that inspired Frankenstein, who's allegedly in quotes, uh, Johann Dippel, um, he would take pieces of animals and like create an elixir and boil it down, Hmm. uh, to create a sort of philosopher's stone in his mind. Now this was supposed to give you everlasting life. Now he made those claims and a few months later he died, um, (laughs) which is quite humorous. But a lot of men at the time, a lot of alchemists who were just really cutting edge scientists in a lot of ways. Um, like, so <laughs> funny. I talked about a man on 13th floor recently, Hennig Brand, who mm-hmm. boiled urine, thousands of gallons of urine, trying to find the philosopher's stone so he could turn <laughs> metal into gold wow. um, instead of like everlasting life. Like, sometimes philosopher's stone is something yeah. like that. But a lot of times, it's just turning metal into gold. Mm-hmm. But the drive that inspired him was no different than any sort of scientific chase to achieve a new frontier. Mm-hmm. And what, what's kind of funny about his pursuit is he goes to achieve one thing, kind of like Frankenstein's going to achieve. Uh, he thinks he's going to achieve life. And yeah. he, in a way, he does. But <laughs> Hennig, for example, he discovers uh, phosphorus <laughs> by boiling a ton of urine. A, oh, a ton wow. of urine. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's kind of, it, it's, it's special in that way that the pursuit is just kind of the pursuit. And that's fun. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but yeah, I've gotten off topic here. Uh, but yeah, the technical stuff is excellent. And I feel robbed. I didn't feel robbed this time around. Kind of like I did with Dracula. You know, we got to spend so much time in the castle. Mm-hmm. I was so glad because those sets are beautiful. They're yeah. awesome. And they're just so appropriate. But again, I know I said the film fumbles some key moments um, for uh, emotional moments for me. Um, but really, one of the ones I'm really shocked by mm-hmm. uh, was that they didn't kill Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah. That was so tacked on at the end. I can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, first off, how is he alive? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that was amazing. I actually rewatched that scene a couple times because it was oh, so... It's great. It's it's so brutal, but also hilarious because of the ragdoll. Uh-huh. Um, so I watched it a couple times. And, you know, it, it's just, it, it is a fumble on the film's end. It felt like they weren't ready to do that. Like, yeah. it, which is weird because we kill so many characters. It's weird that it didn't feel like they were willing to kill this character who is not altruistic, right? No, yeah, um, it's the main character. It's the movie star character, you know, like it's the pretty face character. And I don't think Universal is ready to kill that face yet. Um, and that is my complaint about the film. It's just how the script handles the end. Um, Though I think this film differs more so than than Dracula did from its original source material, that the ending of the film here 
it, overall, Frankenstein's ending is much better than Dracula's ending, I will say. Yeah. Um, it's much more tragic. It's much more drawn out. It's not abrupt. There's a distinct arc to it. It's handled so much better. But Dr. Frankenstein, at least in my opinion, gets off a little too easily and never comes to a reckoning for his actions. I mean, I guess in a sense he does. Uh, he does suffer because of his creation and comes to realize that he was in the wrong. But on the other hand, he, like the rest of us, just joins in in this violent vendetta against the monster, which is understandable, though I would say unfortunate. It would have just been a bit of a turn of the screw, I think, if we saw Frankenstein hesitate a bit more in his response towards his own creation. Um, yeah. I don't think we get that too much. Uh, and I, I would have liked to have seen that uh, conflicted nature in his character a bit much, though I do like how reflective he is in the middle. I wish his reflection would have um, eventually turned to reflection towards maybe there is some innocence in this creature and we need to help this creature instead of harm it. Uh, yeah. We just don't get that, though. His reflection's limited to his actions and not what he created. Right, exactly. So it's his his reaction and his reflection is still egotistical at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, before we get into our rotating segment and our awards, Alex, uh, MVM Plus this week over on patreon.com forward slash MVM pod, we're doing another host chat, catching up on our holidays. It's been a couple weeks since we've spoken to each other. We might do a couple mini reviews on recent movies that we've seen. I, I recently checked out Netflix's The Power of the Dog with Benedict Cumberbatch that I'll tell you about, Alex. Oh, and then okay. uh, the original Matrix movie I, I watched recently. We were having a discussion right before the show about Matrix. I think we're going to do a Matrix versus Men soon on MVM+. Plus. But I want to talk about <laughs> the original Matrix as well. I, we started talking about it. I'm like, no, we got to save this for MVM+. Plus. This is good stuff. So yeah. we'll do that on NVM plus today over on patreon.com forward slash NVM plus or NVM pod. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what, Alex, there is a surprise this week. You may not believe it, but coming out of retirement. What is the one and only theometer. Welcome back to Otter Fumata this week, and we today we are talking about Frankenstein. Welcome back, Theo. How does it feel to be back to the theometer after such a break? I thought you were done with the theometer forever, but you're back. How does it feel to be back with us today? Pretty good. Were you jealous of, of last week? You had your brother Levi doing a Levi scope. Were you jealous? Yeah, you kind were? of a little bit. A little bit? And so you feel like you have to get on the action now. Yeah. You have to reclaim your spot yeah. as the firstborn and first number one co-host. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what you can do. We're going to watch this clip from Frankenstein, okay? This is a famous clip. Um, so you see Frankenstein here. What What's happening in this scene? How would you describe it? Well, somehow this girl is friends with Frankenstein. Okay. You think this girl is friends with Frankenstein? What does uh-huh. she have there? flowers right and she's gonna give the flowers to frankenstein well how does frankenstein respond to these flowers what's he what's he doing here what do you think not sure does he how's he look 
It looks like he's going to eat them. He's going to eat them? <laughs> he does kind of look like that. He's got a smile on his face, though. He seems pretty happy with these flowers. But I want to I want to show you what happens with this flowers. He starts throwing these flowers in, and he's happy. Look. But then he runs out of flowers. What do you think he's going to do next? I'm going to throw her in the ocean. Oh, there she goes. <laughs> Was that pretty scary? You have a wide-eyed look on your face. How scary would you say is the Frankenstein monster? Well, in that clip, I would say about an 8 out of 10. An 8 out of 10 scary? What makes Frankenstein scary? Is it the way he walks, the way he moves, or what he did there? What he did and how his smile was. Oh, that smile was a little spooky to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you feel bad for the girl? Actually, I really did. Yeah, that would be very scary. You didn't feel bad for Frankenstein, though. You think Frankenstein knew what he was doing? I mean, probably not, because he's a Frankenstein. Probably not, because he's a Frankenstein. You know what? That makes sense. Uh, so I'm glad you could join us again this week, Theo. This has been another... Fumander this week. See ya. I can't believe he came back, Aaron. Yeah. It's like you just you just brought Michael Jordan out of retirement. <laughs> well, I think he just was jealous that Levi did it last week. <laughs> and so he was he was he was willing to do it this week with me. Uh just because of that. My my little brother can't can't do that. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Dude, that's yeah, awesome. That's what it was. <laughs> so let's get into our awards then, Alex. First up, most compelling character award. Who do you have? At this point, I'm just hoping this man shows up in every movie, Edward Van Sloan. Uh, he played <laughs> Dr. Waldman. Yeah. And, yeah. dude, his character, again, for me, I just loved his character. He was so interesting. I love, first off, hey, they killed him, which was awesome. Um, but also, I just, I liked his drive for science because, mm -hmm. you know, he first has that, he's appalled by what he's doing, right? He's appalled by what Frankenstein's doing. But then once he sees it happen, he's like, yeah, I'm still appalled, but maybe there's something interesting here. I'll stick <laughs> around, see what's up with this. And so yeah. he, I think he's a really interesting character. I'm glad they killed him. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for Edward Van Sloan, and I, I really am wanting to like go through some of his other movies now. Yeah, no, he's great. He's great. He isn't he? He's also the one that does he's the Van introduction Helsing. at the beginning, right? Oh yeah. Um, that is interesting. <laughs> the the warning to audiences that yeah about to see some shocking stuff, right? <laughs> Which apparently this was pretty shocking, like the monster reveal apparently elicited screams in theaters alex and the which is it is interesting that the monster walks backwards <laughs> into yes. the room the first time we, we see it which is interesting i think it's just for the reveals effect but apparently it elicited screams the first time and the the flower scene alex uh which we've already talked about had grown men crying in theaters <laughs> Oh, I, I, I could see that. Those are I reports. That's what that's the report, right? Nineteen thirty-one. So I, I can see it. But you know, I for compelling character award. You know, you could have went with another uh, 
returner from from last week, Dwight Fry was back as Fritz. Alex, yeah, um, could have went with him though. I think Fritz isn't quite as compelling. <laughs> if we're being honest, no, uh, he's not. But I mean, it's hard not to go with the monster in this case for compelling character because you're you're still not quite sure what to make of him. You're conflicted a little bit. Uh, at least I was conflicted a little bit about this character. Um, how much he understands. There's also that interesting aspect that this brain, which was stolen from your compelling character, Dr. Waldman, Alex, this brain was (laughs) what Dr. Waldman called an abnormal brain. It wasn't like a normal brain. Right, it was was a criminal's brain. It was a criminal's brain, yeah, exactly. It was a criminal's brain, which I think is interesting uh, in the fact that there's still, whenever... the, his functions were taken away. I think there's some innocence there, but then I wonder if that criminality comes back towards the end as it's more pinned into a corner, like we we said before. So there's hmm. just a lot of different interesting things to think about with the monster. So that's my most compelling character award. Wow. Okay. All right. I think it's a good choice. I, it's just, it's a. I wish I could have seen it back then. You know. It would be cool. You, yeah. it, because it's like it's hard to because some of the stuff feels like a little trite, I guess, to us mm. a little bit. Yeah. But I always have to keep in mind like the time. But then yeah. I also have to judge it based on modern sensibilities too. Which is why I guess King Kong was such a kind of golly, this is huge I don't know if it's this good, but like such a revelation for me <laughs> in a oh, lot yeah. of ways in terms of like filmmaking capabilities back then. That's um awesome. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think you're right on. I, I I think you're right on. I think I think the what what makes it so impressive, or to me, what makes like Frankenstein as the the monster so impressive, is just the like the makeup work, right? And and how yeah. much of an icon has been created. I think the performance is also great. It, like it I, feels I, great. I mean, you never are laughing at it. You're never like chuckling at how bad it is, which goes no. the same for Dracula. Like right. both of them are excellent. It's really yeah. impressive. That that that's what's impressive about it. Does it have the same sort of like pacing that we're used to today or like the same maybe shock value that we're used to? No. <laughs> uh yeah, and I mean I think we have to accept that going into these films, you know. Yes. For sure, for sure. Eric, what's your most yeah. memorable line award? Mine's from the beginning. Uh, I mean, there's some classic lines here, but I think this is a good line that stands out to me. Um, it's Dr. Frankenstein upon seeing the man hanging um, and talking to Fritz. He says, he's just resting, waiting for new life to come. Uh, and I think that sets the, the, the tone for what we're about to see, right? Uh, and it brings up a lot of interesting ethical questions, I think. Um, and potentially some theological questions as well. So that that was a good one for me. What about you? Yeah, mine was also Dr. Frankenstein, and he's talking to uh, Dr. Waldman when he's kind of getting questioned about what he's been doing. Yeah. Um, and he says, have you, have you never wanted to do anything that was dangerous? Where would we be if no one tried to find what lies beyond? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that that's all you need to understand Frankenstein's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to motive or d- desire, like that's all you need, right? Exactly. Um, is that. That's good. What about your Can't Believe That Acting Award? 
I'll throw it to Boris Karloff. Yeah, I know it's the easy pick, but it's also <laughs> probably the rightful one, right? This this mm-hmm. is the just like last week. This is the one that stood the test of time. This is the performance that gave us what we know as Frankenstein's monster now, and is imitated for and will be imitated forever. So you got to give it to the man. It's a performance that holds up, even though a it's 80 years later, 90 years later, and we're still impressed by it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I don't, yeah, you can't imagine any other performance at this point. Uh, for me, I'll go with Colin Clive's performance as Dr. Frankenstein. I mentioned mm-hmm. a couple issues with how his character ends up at the end of the film. But that's not really doesn't have to do with Colin Clive's performance. Right. Uh, his performance is awesome <laughs> with what he has there. He he does so much with it. I mean, you've got just iconic lines like the "It's alive," uh, just <laughs> repeating louder and louder and louder, which I tried to imitate at the top of the show and, and failed pretty <laughs> terribly at. Uh, he had to commit to that performance, and he does. He commits to the madman scientist before he has that, as we said, egotistical self-reflection and realizes what he's done um, has hurt those around him um, and hurt himself and in his potential future. Uh, All of that is contained within the performance and and he sells it. So Colin Clive really knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. That was an, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, what about your, oh, that's a good shot award. Um, there are a couple to choose from, man, because there were, there was a lot of great cinematography here. And I, an iconic one that I thought about choosing is just Frankenstein in the light reaching up towards the sky. So good. Mm-hmm. But the one that I think is the standout to me is the father carrying Maria through the town square. Which, as I said, I wasn't sure um, why we were getting so many shots of these celebrations, but I think that's kind of the payoff, right? Is like the grief within the celebrations as he carries her, and it goes on for for quite a while. It's not like technically astounding, except for the fact that it is following her, and it goes on for for quite a while, or following him, and it goes on for quite a while. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just moving. Um, you see the reactions in, in the background of all the other actors actors as their celebrations start to come to an end. Uh, and it's one that I think I, I I'm sure it did in 1931. It made grown men cry. So, uh, <laughs> I, I like that one. I think, I think that's a standout one that I'll definitely remember. Yeah, that is a standout. Uh, and, uh, another one that kind of stuck out to me for, I guess, uh, just because of maybe how odd it was and how it set like the Gothic nature of the film. Like, Yes, we get that opening with the cemetery, which is excellent. And there's a couple shots in there that I really liked. Um, But what I really liked is how they carried that over into um, Dr. Uh, Waldman's, I guess, classroom. Yeah. Where Fitz is sneaking in. You get like this big skeleton. It's a picture of a skeleton. It's It's a painting or drawing of the skeleton in the background. It's very out of place. And he's sneaking down, and it's just, it makes even the, this classroom, classroom, classroom 
feel gothic in this weird way and lends to the eeriness that a lot of the first half of the film has. Uh, I kind of wish that they had carried some of that gothic nature over into some of the wedding scenes and, you know, a little more macabre in mm. some ways because it feels like it's everywhere at the beginning. Yeah. No, that that's a great scene as well. Like Fritz sneaking in the window there. And <laughs> again, like you just have a huge set and Fritz looks so small in comparison. <laughs> He does. It's amazing how small he looks. I was thinking that when I was watching it. I was like, he looks so tiny. (laughs) We don't we don't get shots like that in in many movies anymore, right? Where we see kind of like the full action and the size and the scale for a prolonged period of time. So that that's that's a good choice. That's a good choice. What about your unique award, Alex? What'd you have? I had to give it to uh, I had to give the award for most illiterate. Um, <laughs> and, okay. and there's 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 two recipients. Um, I can't really decide which one. So it's either Fitz, who can't read whether one's a good brain or a criminal brain on the jar, <laughs> and so he just takes the bad one without looking at it. Like makes a point to not even look at it in the scene, and he takes it back. And I guess Frankenstein really trusts this man. Uh, he didn't look either. <laughs> so, way to go, Fitz. You caused this whole problem. Um, and then Elizabeth. Um, she has a moment where she said, she says, quote, Victor, you must help me. I'm afraid I've read it over and over again, but they're just words. I can't understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Elizabeth. <laughs> she handles it in such a yeah. <laughs> unique way she handles the whole situation in a unique unique way but it's like a very supportive way as well yeah yeah she is a character we haven't touched on much yet um she's not i wouldn't call it yeah she's not really the lead here is probably why and she does handle things kind of uniquely though uh <laughs> you, you you would think most if this were set in, in 2021, Alex, she would have been long gone, I think. Don't you? Mm. Yeah, maybe. I, There's I would, something I would about say the commitment, so. I think, right? Uh, where there might have been a stronger a stronger commitment to Oath. Maybe. So maybe. what's interesting is she. there is that commitment. And there's also that, you know, that almost third wheel allure of Victor, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Uh, someone who's edging in on this relationship. But she has no interest in, I mean, she kind of does. But she doesn't really have an interest in Victor. She's really committed to Henry and supportive of his endeavor, even though it's terrifying. <laughs> I like that. I yeah, actually really like that. Like, I actually do, yeah. Victor really adds that interesting different. element, you know, like it shows more about Elizabeth. I think than anything else. And so maybe she deserved more of a conversation for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think maybe she did. And you know, we didn't even talk about Victor either, but yeah. Victor is a much better character that, you know, last week we had the boyfriend, right. Who neither one of us liked. Um, the, and it, he was just kind of like a nothing, a nothing burger really. But Victor is, He's a, he's a great performance, and he's an interesting character. You know, he seems to be friends with 
Frankenstein and Elizabeth, who he has a who he kind of wants to have a relationship with, but he still does things for both of them as well. So mm. there's a lot of interesting character dynamics going on in the movie. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, my unique award is the most likely to survive anything award. <laughs> and that can only go to Dr. Frankenstein, Alex. <laughs> I mean. It's amazing. <laughs> he is a trooper after being thrown from the mill and hitting the mill and then letting <laughs> like stories down. I mean, was that on purpose? Do you think Alex, like when they're filming? I think it had to be right. Yeah. It was so brutal. I mean, it may not have been, <laughs> but I feel like to move the camera in that way, it almost mm. had to be right. Yeah. Especially no, back right. then, this thing's probably pretty bulky. Maybe um, that's the justification of how Dr. Frankenstein survived, right? Like the fall was broken by the mill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would think if any, I guess it could, you yeah. know, for him in the stomach and the, in the soft, yeah. in the soft tissue, it didn't damage the organs too bad. I guess he could survive somehow. Guess. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, all right, Alex. That, I think that brings us to our final thoughts and our tiered rating mm. last week we established our new tiered rating system the godzilla gamma gabra tiers alex what are your final thoughts on frankenstein and which tier does it fall into yeah so frankenstein is a good lesson in learning from your mistakes in a lot of ways i think it improves on everything dracula did i think i'm glad we got to spend so much time in uh castle frankenstein and I'm, I'm really glad that the the monster was even more interesting than Bela Lugosi's uh, Dracula. And he was interesting throughout. Even though I do have some pretty big problems with my levels of sympathy towards him um, towards the end. Because I don't feel like it carries through uh, for his death, which I feel like I should have felt really sad about. And instead I kind of felt nothing. And I really don't like that they let Frankenstein live in like this tacked on scene at the end. Um, so those are some some minuses. I'm gonna, you know, I've got some issues with it. I'm gonna go ahead and put it in the. I'll put it in Godzilla tier. I kind of want to knock Dracula down to Gamera tier. I feel like that was a mistake last week. I've I've thought I, it's kept me awake every night since. Um, but on, it's almost for, again, it's almost for historical reasons, because if it's my own personal feelings, mm -hmm. I'd like completely that. And I'm with a modern lens on it. I, I feel like it'd be a camera tier. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it the, the Godzilla tier because the performance, the emotions and Castle Frankenstein. I, I hear your hesitation, Alex. I hear your hesitation. I, though, think this is a definite Godzilla tier film for me, at least. Uh, and I think even with the modern viewing that that we're giving this, I, I think this is a pretty quick paced film. Like I, I think, I um, generally speaking, this is a faster moving, more engaging film than Dracula last week. Mm -hmm. There is the fact that we don't get Frankenstein monster until about halfway through the film. 
I actually think that's kind of smart, right? The first half of the film establishes Dr. Frankenstein as the character, and we're really trying to understand who he is and what he's about um, and his drive. And you get this kind of work that's that's driving him away from these relationships that matter. And then the second half of the film is more focused on the monster, of course. Uh, I think I do feel sympathy at the end for Frankenstein monster. Um, and, and it makes me, uh, in, in doing a little bit of, of research about this film, I was thinking about this quote, and, and I'm not going to get it exactly here, from Boris Kor- Karloff uh, and James Whale. They said they agreed in kind of their approach towards the Frankenstein character and that the Frankenstein character just was wanting to reach out to its to his maker, um, kind of like you know a human would reach out to their god. Right. And I think that's kind of what we see in this character. I mean, this of, of Frankenstein, a confused character doesn't know their purpose um, a- until they meet their tragic end. Uh, so I, I think this is not just on a story level. Amazing. I think also on a technical level, I do think it's ahead of its time. As you said earlier, Alex, just in the camera work. So this is a definite Godzilla tier film for me. Awesome. Uh, I, I, I knew I had a feeling you would like it. I didn't know you were going to be that you were going to like it that much. So that's awesome. What do yeah, we got next week, Eric? Next week, we've got The Mummy, Alex. You have a, a rhyme prepared for The oh, Mummy? Yeah, The Mummy. Hopefully, it doesn't spoil my tummy, but it looks like it'll probably be pretty yummy. Oh, man. Well, Alex, you just <laughs> took several of my rhymes. Oh, no. <laughs> to be fair, I don't know how many there are. I mean, how many things rhyme with mummy, right? Yeah. Will the delights and frights of the mummy be yummy or make our tummy feel crummy? We Ooh. shall see, Alex. You stealing you stealing all that from me made me feel a little scummy. <laughs> <laughs> As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. We want to hear from you. Email us at nvmpod at gmail.com or go to nvmpod.com to leave us your feedback on Frankenstein. What are your awards? Uh, do you think Frankenstein is a sympathetic character? Um, is Alex just that wrong about the flower scene? Uh Send us your feedback over at mvmpod at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts and we'll read them on the show. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at mvm underscore pod. You become a bargain base mite at patreon.com forward slash mvmpod and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't help monetarily at this time, a review on your favorite podcasting platform helps. Monster vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornette. Executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rob Band for PlayStation 3, which formed Subblock B, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week. Don't hit the windmill on the way down. <laughs> and try, try to, to stay, stay alive. alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. created a monster and it will destroy you. Yeah.
Uh, so I really gravitated towards Napoleon Dynamite after I saw it the first time. I didn't really care for it the first time. I thought it was overrated. And then upon more viewings, much like myself, the more you talk to me, the more you like me.